Welcome back to In the Know. I'm Tiffany Bowie. And I'm Luke Diamond. We have some big podcast news and some big Luke news, which are the same. The big podcast slash Luke news is that after 45 episodes across three semesters, this is my last episode. I'm graduating. I'm actually finishing my undergrad degree tomorrow. I'm so happy for you after five years. Oh five my gosh. years? Five and a half years. Woo. It's taken me five and a half years to get my four-year degree. Um, but yeah, tomorrow it's all done. Luke, if it took you thousands of dollars to get in debt for us to meet, I think it was worth it, personally. Yeah, truly. <laughs> truly, the, the daily friendships, in particular the podcast friendships, are worth the crippling debt I'll be in for decades to come. Luke, what was your favorite favorite part about producing in the know? Uh, probably the fact, uh, my favorite thing was the reduction of my imposter syndrome. <laughs> 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 On my first episode, I was like, wow, I'm completely unqualified to do this, which I'm pretty sure everybody could hear. No. <laughs> um, but 45 episodes later, I actually feel like I've earned my space in this chair a little bit. You do. You yeah. did. You have. Yeah. So I think that's probably it. So, and Tiffany's gone next semester too. I'm leaving. What's your big news? I'm going to D.C. I'll be with NPR. Yeah, she just said that like it's no big deal, but she is going to be an intern at National Public Radio. That's like, I don't know, getting an internship if you're a business student at like Google or something. <laughs> I like that we're, we've been trying to make this podcast relatable to Carlson students for consistently <laughs> like a year. We have and are yet to connect. Um, all we? right, shall we get into our yeah. very last episode? Let's okay. do it. Let's do it. To help give some context for this week's episode, reporter Natalie Rodemacher tells a quick story about wild rice research. Wild rice um, is very significant to many tribal nations around the state. Um, there's an old Anishinaabe legend that goes that the creator instructed the Anishinaabe people to move west and find the food which grows upon the water. And so these Anishinaabe people traveled west until they got to the Great Lakes region around here, and they found wild rice growing around the lakes. And so that is how the people came to be here. Back in October, Natalie reported that the University of Minnesota researchers are working with tribal nations to study the decline of wild rice in the state. And a lot of that is on non-reservation land because of like industry, and just polluted waters and people building homes around lakes. The tribes are like stewards of the wild rice, so the researchers are looking to them to help preserve the crop in Minnesota. But the university has not always shown that kind of cooperation. So almost two decades ago, um, university researchers went in and tried genetically mapping wild rice, kind of how university researchers do that with apples. They created the Honeycrisp and this is something that's very sacred to these tribal communities. It's not something to be messed with. And so um, a lot of these communities were really upset with the university and these researchers for going in and doing that. In an effort to repair that relationship, a group of university and tribal community members have partnered since last year to combat the decline of wild rice. Initially, there was some pushback from the tribes. The trust between tribes and the U wasn't really there. Like these researchers are having to go about this work in a completely different way than what they're used to. That's a lot more focused on relationship building 
versus just going in and doing research in like an extractive method that most researchers use. What the conflict over the wild rice shows us is that though the university is a major institution with research that can impact tribal nations, there hasn't always been a good relationship between the two. I think it's important to know that the university hasn't always had good relationships with these tribal nations. Researchers and other members of the university community just haven't really gone in and tried to build a mutually respectful relationship with these tribes and tried to honor their traditional knowledge and culture. We thought it was important to bring up this slice of history now because one man... I'm Tad Johnson. I'm a full professor. ...has been tasked with building those mutually respectful relationships. I'm enrolled with the Boys Fort Band of with Chippewa, of Chippewa, so it's spelled B-O-I-S-E. No, B-O-I-S, sorry. They're going to kill me if I spell it Boise. Professor Johnson occupies a brand new position at the university. He is the first senior director of American Indian Tribal Nations Relations. In short, he's the university's liaison with the tribes. Professor Johnson was appointed to this position in the Office of Equity and Diversity in late November. When we met him in his office last week, it was completely bare. He hadn't even settled in yet. He's had a long career in advocating for tribal rights. Before he was a professor at the University of Minnesota Duluth, He was a tribal attorney. In 1997, President Clinton appointed him to the National Indian Gaming Commission. I would like to create permanent consultation um, between the University of Minnesota and the tribes of Minnesota. And um, so that um, the university totally understands what the tribes are up to, what the tribal views are. He says meetings with university administration usually are short high-pressure situations, but he wants to approach this in a different way. You get um, a half hour with the vice president, and you don't get to know um, the people. And to me, that is the wrong approach to Indian affairs. The right approach to Indian affairs is to go out for weeks, months, years at a time, getting to know them, uh, listening to their issues. And the university... um, if they, if they want to listen to the way I want to do things, um, will allow me to go out and chat with them and find out what, what their needs are. For Professor Johnson, the sky's the limit for what the university and tribes could get done together. There's a pandemic of diabetes going on in reservations. Um, you know, here we have one of the great medical schools in, in the world, and is there a way we can help? Um, We also, we have one of the great public policy schools in the country here, and they came to me. Students had graduated from there who were reported to Governor Dayton. Um, She said, after taking one of our tribal state relations courses, one of our two-day courses, she said, I didn't learn anything like this at the Humphrey School. It's important to note the university has some existing programs serving Native Americans. For example, the Memory Keepers program at UMD is looking into diabetes and dementia in rural and Native American communities. So Professor Johnson's role is really about ensuring research is a mutually beneficial relationship with the Native American community. There's seven grandfather teachings in the Ojibwe culture. And one of the more important ones to me is humility. And uh, you don't find a lot of Indian people talking themselves up that much. 
teaching university professors and administrators humility, I think, will be part of my job <laughs> um, because they don't have all the answers here. Um, and if they did, they wouldn't have to hire me to be their Indian whisperer. <laughs> Professor Johnson says that tribes want to preserve sacred parts of life. That includes everything from gathering wild rice to picking berries and fishing. He says researchers should think about the land and tribal treaty rights of that land when doing their research. One of the great universities in the world, um, there's this population out there that is smart, um, has a lot to offer the university, um, but you know, as far as understanding tribal religion, um, tribal customs, they might as well be 7,000 miles away. With new leadership at the state and university level, Professor Johnson believes now is a good time to get things done. During President Kaler's tenure, the tribes rejected his draft for a Native Nations Advisory Council and provided their own instead. Joan Gable, the U.S. new president, might be amenable to that, Professor Johnson says. And now we have Governor Walls, who's like, um, this is the best relationship the tribes have ever had with the state. And yet... I look at the thought leader of Minnesota, the University of Minnesota, and they are way, way, way behind uh, the federal government and the state government in their dialogue with Indian tribes. And that is, um, that is a sorry state of affairs. So I'm kind of here to try to attempt to fix that. <laughs> wanted to understand what this position means to someone outside of the University of Minnesota. We spoke to Karen Diver. She's the former chairwoman of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. She currently serves as the Director of Business Development for the Native American Advancement Initiative at the University of Arizona. We asked what she would like to see out of this tribal relations role if she was still chairwoman today. She says there needs to be regular conversations with the president and tribal leaders, just like Professor Johnson said these discussions and relationships need to be ongoing. She also wants to see the university respect Native sovereignty in research and data, and finally, helping Native and non-Native students better serve their community. But she says the best way the school can allow Professor Johnson to do his best work is to let him work. So it depends on how effective they let him be. Um, you know, he can't, he won't allow himself to be tokenized. Um, and if that's the role they want him to play, then he, they picked the wrong person, right? Hiring him alone doesn't change it. It facilitates further actions that will need to be taken, right, by an improved relationship. So if, if they listen and take to heart the results of his work and his, his input, and his facilitating those communications um, with tribes and, and really take that all serious, then it can be a, a, a real meaningful impact for both the university system and for tribal communities. For the former chairwoman, she didn't see that readiness in Kaler's administration. I see a bit of a philosophical change out of the new leadership. Um, these are huge institutions to change. Dr. Michael Goh is working to lead that change. I serve as Vice President for Equity and Diversity. I'm also a professor in the College of Education and Human Development. Dr. Goh appointed Professor Johnson to this new role. He says creating the position may also, in part, help make the university a more welcoming space for Native students. 
I think it's naive to believe, even though we have five great campuses, that simply having built the university that they will come. The role of tribal liaison is essentially built on trust. And that extends to the students who arrive on campus too. They need to feel like they can trust the U to go here and have a fulfilling experience. The number of American Indian students has inched up slightly in the past decade. Native students accounted for less than 1% of the student body back in 2009. Today, they make up a little less than 1.5%. Um, what confidence do we have that they will be respected, well-treated, um, they will have a sense of belonging, community. According to Dr. Go, the position is a relatively new one in the scope of universities. However, the U of M isn't the first in the Midwest. Our neighbor, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, appointed a director of tribal relations in October. For his part, Dr. Go says he will use his power to support Professor Johnson however he can. I don't think I've ever um, understood power as much as I've learned about it in my senior administrator role. I can see while I am sitting in this office the opportunity I have to address some of the Native American issues we may have failed to address, we may have ignored for too long. But it takes a person like Professor Ted Johnson um, with the experience, with the skills, with the relationships and trust he has with the tribal nations to be the one to enact it. And as much as my role, power, as you call it, that I don't always feel every day, I will support that as much as I can. One last thing. This is a land-grant university. Where do they think the land came from? Do we owe a special duty to Indian tribes? Yes, we do. The United States, through the Morrill Act, we're in the Morrill Hall right now, um, said that, okay, we're going to take all this land and we're going to use it to build this great university. And they did. But they seem to forget the middle part, which is that the United States has this trust responsibility that flows to the tribes. When I've talked to the university about that, they said, well, we're not a government. We're not, we're not the state government. We're not the federal government. But I keep reminding them, you are here because of a federal law called the Morrill Act. The Morrill Act took Indian land and built a great university on it. Don't you feel that you owe something to the Indian tribes of the region? Because the land <laughs> that was taken ended up building this magnificent university and Everything that happens here every day is because of land that you got from Indian tribes. And I think you should be reminded of that every single day, because uh, the tribes are. Here's the rest of the U's News. After playing its best season in over 100 years, the Gopher football team will play Auburn University in the Outback Bowl on New Year's Day. The team is currently on a three-bowl game winning streak. The Outback Bowl will be set at Raymond James' Stadium, the stadium in Tampa Bay, Florida that the Buccaneers call home. The game is considered to be a close match between number 18 ranked UMN and number 12 ranked Auburn. 
42 episodes ago, we did a story about a controversial pronoun policy proposed by University of Minnesota's Office of Equal Opportunity and Affirmative Action that aimed to promote inclusive pronoun use on campus. Well, a year and a half later, a revised version of that policy was finally enacted last Friday. Its punitive measures for noncompliance were removed in the wake of free speech concerns. A survey conducted by the university's journalism school found that the majority of university students felt comfortable using gender-neutral pronouns if they were asked to do so. This episode of In the Know was produced by me, Luke Diamond, and was reported by Tiffany Bui and Natalie Rademacher. It was edited by Kendall Van Horn. Our intro music is by J.D. Duggan. Listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also check out our sports podcast, The Weekly Rundown, with new episodes out every Friday. Real quick, thanks for letting me be your host for the last 45 episodes and three semesters. Producing this podcast has been one of the most rewarding adventures of my undergraduate experience, which ends tomorrow, finally. Happy holidays, best of luck on your exams, and have a great winter break. And of course, thanks for listening.